Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Everybody out there, NBA fans, not NBA fans. Well, shout out to WWE fans, pro wrestling fans, fans of whatever you like who happen to be tuning in, listening, whether you're walking, driving, whatever the case may be. Welcome back to the Ruler of the Court podcast. I am your host. I am the, I guess you could call me the ruler of this court, Jason Jones of The Athletic, bringing you more of my thoughts, takes, and insights on the Sacramento Kings, along with uh, a foray, a dive, or not so much a deep dive, just a dive into some some musical, some hip-hop topics. But we got plenty of Kings to uh, uh, chop it up about. Won't keep you waiting too long. Go ahead and jump into, uh, by the time you listen to this, it'll be Monday's game. Monday's game at New Orleans to wrap up this four-game road trip. Kings are 2-1 on the trip, you know, wins at Orlando, at Toronto, well, at Toronto, in Tampa, and then losing a close one, a tough one in Miami uh, on Saturday. So, the big thing about that game, a couple of things, but I'll start with this first, what people are talking about when it comes to that game, uh, where was Marvin Bagley in the fourth quarter? And I understand... Marvin's minutes are always are kind of a, they're a touchy subject. They're a lightning rod, so to speak. Everyone's looking for a you know, if you don't like Marvin, you'll figure out ways to say why he shouldn't be playing more. If you do like Marvin, you'll say the coaching staff is doing him wrong by not playing him more in the fourth quarter. There's so many ways you can go with this, and. And the frustration of this last game with the pro Marvin camp was uh, the fact that he just didn't play in the fourth quarter, even though he was having an effective game offensively, uh, helped keep the Kings in the game while things were going, while there were some struggles out there for them offensively in the second and third quarter of that game. Marvin made seven to eight shots, had 17 points, didn't touch the court in the fourth. So... What's behind that? What's going on? You know, why, 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 why? And just so you know, I do know that Team Bagley was tweeting, you know, retweeting anti-Luke Walton stuff. I'm really not going to spend really much more time on it than that because I know I'm only acknowledging that I did see it because people are talking, you know, people talk about that stuff. But Marvin's a grown man. I'm not going to 
run to his uh, family or his father's Twitter account every time something happens. I'm not going to make that a a staple of what I do. I just won't. I think I've only written about uh, the team Bagley uh, tweets once, and that was because it asked for, the the account asked that Marvin be traded. This time it retweeted a, a tweet about suggesting Marvin be traded, but you know what? Doesn't really matter in this situation with stuff like that. It's just like another fan talking. No disrespect to Marvin's dad, but you can't, you know, and, and when you're retweeting stuff from, you know, random accounts, people with nine, 12 followers, if you're like just searching out all the pro Marvin stuff, which you would do with a member of his family, that just means you're a fan. So it is what it is. But back to why Marvin doesn't play a lot in the fourth. He's had some moments this season where he has been in there in the fourth quarter, but this this last game in Miami, Luke Walton chose. Uh, he said after the game that he meant he wanted to get Marvin back in the game, but just the flow of the game and the way things went, he could he couldn't get him back in. And uh, do I buy that? Actually, in this case, I do. Not as a defender of Luke Waltner. You know, trying to be pro Luke Walton. The fact is, the Kings are trying to win games. Yeah, yes, player development is key, and I think a lot of people have bought into this narrative of this is the year about development. In the sense that that means the Kings aren't trying to win games, and that's not what's going on. They want to win games, and yes, they want to get a good look at Marvin, get him going, develop him, get him to be a better player. But the key is to win games. And just the way the season has unfolded, the way the team has looked to do things, this team has been at its best late, later in games when it goes with Rashawn Holmes at center and then plays uh, four smaller players around him, whether it be Harrison, usually it's Harrison Barnes, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Hill, and De'Ara Fox. And to play in that small lineup, Marvin would have to play center. And right now, the Kings aren't inclined to use Marvin at center. And secondly, there's a lot of defensive responsibility in that spot in that lineup. And I'm not sure Marvin's ready for that. Uh, clearly, the Kings aren't sure he's ready for that. So that's why you don't see Marvin in the fourth quarter sometimes, even when he is playing well. And I don't think that's a knock on Marvin. I'm in the minority here. Some people think that Marvin not playing in the fourth all the time or more, more times than not or all not, not being a staple in the fourth quarter is a knock on him. I disagree. I believe that Marvin's made, uh, made, made strides this season. You see the progress. You see the, the development, the growth. But this coaching staff has only had Marvin for 19 games. And if you include, you know, last season, they've only had Marvin for 32 games. They're still learning him. They're still, you know, Marvin's still learning them. And late in games, it's about trust. Who do you trust out there? And especially defensively, right now, they're not going to trust Marvin Bagley in those situations. And I don't think that's a knock on Marvin. It just means Marvin has to continue to improve and get better and earn that trust. And he has earned it in some situations, but... The way this thing is set up, most teams nowadays are going smaller to close games. They're getting multiple ball handlers out there. And 
to put Marvin out there to say he, to, for example, to say you said, I don't know, who would you have sat against Miami? Say Buddy Hill's cold in the second half, which he was till he hit a late three. Say you sit Buddy and go De'Aaron, Tyrese, Marvin, Harrison Barnes, and, and Rashawn. So does that mean that Marvin guards Jimmy Butler? Maybe, maybe not. You know, but, you know, you know that um, they're going to put Marvin in tough you know, situations. Do you want Marvin having to chase around Tyler Hero, possibly? No, you know, you probably don't. But the team does want to be switchable in those situations. And in terms of their bigs and being switchable, the best one at that is Rashawn Holmes. And I don't think that's really in question. So I get the, you know, the predictable, all oh, Luke Walton's an idiot because he didn't play Marvin in the fourth. Uh, they needed some defense, and they actually held Miami to 21 points in the fourth. So, if Marvin had played, and then, say, Jimmy Butler gets cooking against him, then everyone's going to say, well, why was he out there? He shouldn't have been out there. So, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. And I'm not going to kill this coaching staff over over that at this point because when you're, when you're dealing with a guy like Marvin you're dealing with a guy who's very talented but is still relatively inexperienced and obviously the only way you get experience is to play but especially after you have a you come off of a four game losing streak you won you, you're sure you won three but you're still a below a 500 t- team when I say you won three you won three in a row obviously after the four game losing streak but you know you're still below 500 it's on the road and you need to have guys out there that you can trust. And the fourth quarter of a one-point game is not the time to start teaching guys lessons. I'm sorry. That's not the time for those guys to learn. You know, and no coach who, at the end of the day, their record is their record, is going to spend that time teaching in that situation. I'm sorry. There's, there's plenty of ways to learn, and that's not one way Marvin's going to learn. I'm sorry. You know, well, I don't know why I'm apologizing. I didn't do it. You guys are mad at the coaching staff, so be mad at them. But I understand the rationale. Actually, I understand it both ways. I understand wanting to see Marvin out there, but I also understand the coaching staff saying, hey, we're not trying to lose this game, you know, by, you know, taking out our our lineup. And sometimes if the lineup is hot, you no, know, Luke is going to roll with it. And that lineup was rolling, so I don't really fault him for sticking with that. But... If we want to take a look at this Marvin's minutes over the course of the season, Marvin's played over 30 minutes, a total of three times this year. So, you know, it's not like he's, you know, gotten, he's not, you know, in, in that 35, 38 minute a night range that we'll probably see De'Aaron and guys like that at. And whether it's win or losses, his minutes really have, haven't been, I would say, dictated by the result, I think it's been dictated by the situation. It's because he's played as little as, you know, basically 20 minutes in wins. He's actually played his most minutes in a loss. He played 36 minutes against uh, New Orleans, oddly enough, who they play on on uh, uh, today. And it's also a team that, you know, regularly will use two big men. In their case, those two big men would be Stephen Adams and Zion Williamson. So, I think part of it's definitely matchups, you know, related. If you're going to play, if a team is not going to play two bigs, where, where exactly do you play Marvin? 
and also performance. So I think that largely all this Marvin's gotten done wrong is in a, um, to me a big overreaction. I don't think it's anything to panic about. I, I understand the, the, the gripes and the concerns, you know, and I don't think there'll be many of those after the New Orleans game because I do expect Marvin to play more just because of the lineups and there's a better chance that you will see two bigs together. But I just think in close games, it's going to take over. We're going to have to wait and see as Marvin continues to progress. Remember, we're 18 games into this season. We're not, you know, we're not, you know, 60 games in. We're not 50. We're not even, we're a quarter of a way uh, into the season. So calm down, people. You know, you know, it's called just calm down, chill. You know, don't, you know, like I said, don't make this a big old deal. Well, you will make it a big old deal because that's what you do. That's what people do. They make things a big old deal, even if I don't think they are. But usually I'm in the minority in what is and not a big deal around here. So that is what it is. And just to throw this last note in, I have gotten no indication that Marvin's minutes have anything to do with um, injuries or they're holding him back because of an injury. He's playing through the uh, sore wrist. So just to throw that out there. And also... Marvin, in terms of minutes per game, is slightly above where he's been in his career. It's not by a lot. You know, it's not a uh, drastic, you know, a, a difference. But I just think overall, I believe he is like, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tad ahead of his pace from the previous two years. He's at 26 minutes, which is right around where he's generally played, 25.7 per game. His, uh, his 13 games last season... And 25.3 as a rookie. So it's inching up. The scoring is, you know, down compared, you know, compared to that. But his three-point shooting is definitely up. You know, he's up at 37%. Uh, the field goal percentage overall is down. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he started off so bad at the beginning of the season. He's about 48%. And obviously, you would love a big man to be in that 50 range. But I think over the course of a season, Bagley's numbers are going to, Probably be in the mid to high 40s if he continues to shoot a lot, to shoot more threes. Right now, he's shooting about three threes a game, and of his 11 shots, if that if those numbers go up, I could see him staying where he's at shooting wise and maybe taking a dip. But yeah, I don't want to you know harp on Marvin. You know, I think right now he's a can you know he's a lightning rod for some people, but. I think we still need to exercise caution and patience as we watch Marvin develop. So I want to switch over really quickly to the other piece of the super team that was just young, you know, according to Vlade <laughs> back in, uh, was it 2017, 2018 after they drafted Marvin? He said they have a super team just young, but talk about De'Aaron Fox and his comments after the last game about, you know, about the free throws and, not getting the calls, and right now, De'Aaron owns up to this, and it's just a fact. You can want more calls if you're not going to make free throws, and that's going to be a problem, you know. You know, what, what did J.O. Felony say? I can give it to you, but what you going to do with it? You know, De'Aaron had eight free throws against the Heat, and he only made three. 
that's, you know, Andre Drummond's shaking his head at that, you know. <laughs> Steven Adams can't believe he did that. You know, it's just, that's not, you, you, your primary ball handler, your point guard cannot shoot 67% from the line on the season. And that's where he is right now. And in today's NBA, that just does not fly. I mean, you can get by, maybe you can beat some, you can beat some bad teams, but the Kings had the misfortune of playing the Heat when Jimmy Butler was healthy and available. And obviously having Jimmy back makes them a completely different team. So that's the one thing where, you know, the De'Aaron's acknowledged it. And until it's different, it's going to be harped on. It's, it's going to stay harped on. You know, you cannot, he cannot shoot like that from the foul line, you know, and expect the Kings to win. And De'Aaron knows this, so this is not news to anyone. You know, this is not like I'm taking a shot at De'Aaron. This isn't, you know, me against De'Aaron, anything like that. But he, right now, he's going to come with that big contract and that notoriety comes to scrutiny. And right now, that is the one area where if you're going to scrutinize De'Aaron, that's the most you can, the biggest area. I mean, shooting-wise, he's at 46% this year. Is that, it's a little bit below last season where he was at 48. His three-point shooting is back on the upswing compared to uh, where it was. He's at 36%, whereas he was, you know, 29% last season. You know, the assists are slightly, are slightly down. They're actually trending down from, you know, when he's at 7.3%. His second year right now, he's at 6.1 per game. You know, the steals are close to the same. You know, the scoring average is about the same. And I contend that as he, you know, shoots more, makes more shots, you know, shoot, you know shoots and makes more threes, that his scoring average will be about 23. Right now it's at 21.3, but it'd be about 23 or maybe more if he shot his free throws better. And over his career... That's continued to trend in the, in the wrong direction. You know, he was at 70.5 last season. Right now at 67.2. And a lot of basketball to play, obviously. But me, I want my point guard in that 80 range. You know, and at this point, we're de- considering De'Aaron is. If he was at 75, that would still be a nice step in the right direction. Just because... De'Aaron's game is a lot of his game in the Kings offense is predicated on him getting into the lane, creating for others, initiate, you know, drawing contact, getting to the line, getting the other team into the penalty, so on and so forth. And the last thing the Kings want is to have a point guard you can do hack a with hack a fox with, <laughs> you know, late in the game. So that's got to get better. I mean, De'Aaron has shown he can be a good shooter. He's just inconsistent from the free throw line right now, and. That's not going to cut it. And complaining about the referees or wanting more calls is going to ring hollow if you don't make the free throws. Again, three of eight against the Heat. Yo, for a point guard, uh, uh, someone who aspires to be a star in this league, he knows that's not good enough. The Kings know it's not good enough. And I expect that that'll get better. I, well, I would hope it would get better for the Kings' sake. Just because... You're going to, you know, that was a one-point game against the Heat. They're going to be in some more tight games, and if you can't count on De'Aaron to get you, you know, six of eight from the line, for example, you could be in, you could be in some trouble at some point this year and beyond this year and future seasons. Just because, hey, like I said, who wants to have a point guard who can't make free throws? But 
I digress. I'm not going to harp on that much longer either, but I just want to kind of drive home those points. You know, be patient with Marvin, you know, in the whole situation. I don't think that him not playing every fourth quarter is that big of a deal. And it doesn't matter who's in the the fourth quarter with De'Aaron Fox. He's got to make those free throws. So I think we've talked enough basketball for now. With the Kings playing in New Orleans, I wanted to reflect, reminisce, look at, touch on just some of my feelings about uh, New Orleans rap, some of you know, uh, what they've contributed to the game, to the culture, and who I like from New Orleans. I mean, I won't do this, but I won't do this every game all season. You know, I won't just go rap by city by city, but kind of where I'm at right now with it. You know, we get back to Sacramento, I might go a bunch of different ways. But just looking at New Orleans and looking at what they've contributed, like they contributed to the hip-hop culture, I want to start with uh, the one and only Master P. Uh, Master P was a big part of the soundtrack of my college years. Is it the most uh, intricate, sophisticated lyrically? Absolutely not. Yo, not even, no, I'm not even going to lie to y'all and say it was. But we partied our asses off to Master P music. It just had an infectious energy, and we would just go. And back then, you know, for those of us around my age, we still bought CDs, and everyone had those clear plastic cases. Master P, the No Limit Records all had these, like, different, like the, it was like cardboard and plastic, you know, it was, it was different. And they had the tank and all that. And we would just go, 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 go off of Master P. And Master P's influence can be felt, you know, know, as far as pushing that independent scene, you know, independent label. He wasn't the first, but he definitely learned his game in the Bay about that. You know, the Bay has definitely been a forefront in that. And Master P was in the Bay when he got, you know, before he headed back down south. So you got, you know, this, the, what he was able to contribute in that regard as being another independent label, making it big. And to me, maybe most relevant to this conversation is that P was big in the crossover between hip-hop and sports. We all, you know, we all remember, or maybe you don't remember, some of y'all probably, a lot of y'all probably younger than me listening to this, but Master P had his stints, you know, playing preseason ball with a couple of teams, the Hornets and the Raptors. You know, he was actually a you know pretty good basketball player in his you know when he was younger you know, uh, college level you know level player. So along with that came the crossover in terms of the videos where he's got Shaq in the Make Him Say Um video. You know, Master P crossed over into a sports agent, uh, having a sports agency representing Ricky Williams. You know, the Heisman Trophy winning running back from Texas, who went to, of course, the Saints when he was drafted. P's hometown team. You know, there's a good documentary BT did about the No Limit uh, Chronicles. You might want to check that out if you want to get a little more into that. I'm not going to try to educate y'all all on that part of it because there's a lot a lot that goes on there with that whole sports agency thing. But the you saw the crossover. This is like, you know, in the late 90s, the crossover being big with P between sports and, you know, and hip-hop. So, Master P was definitely a, a trailblazer, you know, for the South in that regard. So, want to give him a shout-out on this here podcast before I go. And also, 
Can't leave here without talking about, you know, cash money. Taking over for the 9-9-2000. No, back that ass up, all that stuff. Lil Wayne, they gave, they gave us all of that. You know, gave us Lil Wayne before he started looking like he has a serious drug problem. Yeah, it's kind of scary to see what Wayne looked like sometime now. But, yeah, just looking back at that, you know, looking back at those days. And you may not realize this. When they was back there wearing them big white t-shirts and all that, we was doing that for years, you know. I don't know why <laughs> some of us in the West Coast didn't, people forget about that, but they just seemed like people just took off with the whole big white t-shirts, the bandanas, but also the bandanas may, might mean different things in different neighborhoods, so you might want to be careful doing that. Even though I've seen people with you know bandanas all the time now during, during the quarantine, I'm still not used to that, but hey. You know, they, they brought a new thing, and everyone focuses on, you know, you know, a lot of people focus on Wayne when it comes to cash money. They look at Baby and Birdman, the businessman, but Juvenile was that dude when he when he, when he he came onto the scene. And had, I've had the privilege of catching Juvenile twice live. Once actually in New Orleans, All-Star Weekend 28, 2017. Also, the weekend DeMarcus Cousins was traded to New Orleans, but I was able to catch a show with... Uh, Actually ended up being juvenile and Wayne and like pretty much a little cash money reunion. And I called him a couple of years ago out in Oakland for the 20th anniversary, 20th anniversary, should I say, of the 400 Degrees album. Uh, me and my lady went out there and caught that. Uh, she's from New Louisiana, so that's a whole different vibe for her. But, just, you know, he was a guy, You, you if you, if you want to kind of just get a feel and get an understanding of what New Orleans, about New Orleans... I would suggest you go back and check 400 Degrees again and listen to it again get a few times because I did that. I went back and listened to it and I forgot how many songs on there were so good and how much good music was on that album, you know. And eventually, you know, between the Hot Boys and Wayne, those guys took off, but Juvenile really came out and set a, set a bar for that label and can't forget what he did what he did for the, you know, for the culture, and like I said, I, you know, I don't know anyone who's, who was in high school, college age, around the nine, 1999 turn of the century, who didn't, who didn't love Back That Ass Up, you know, that was, that song will forever, I think that's a song that forever, you play that at a party, right, it's all right up there with Ain't No Fun, I mean, there's some songs that will always hit at a party, and Juvenile's Back That Ass Up is one of those songs. So, you get a chance, like I said, go back and check out 400 Degrees, one of the better hip-hop albums of all time, in my opinion. You know, if you want to dive into some more of that, you know, New Orleans, you know, hip-hop sound. I'm just giving you some guys, of, you know, some of the, the main guys. I know there's a lot more down there. I don't have time to go into every single one of them, but... If you get a chance, listen to some of uh, Lil Wayne's, uh, you know, the first couple of, no, the first, maybe probably, especially the first three Carters, uh, No Ceilings uh, mixtape series. I know some of y'all might be off of Wayne because of his little photo op with, uh, with Trump and all, but I'm just saying strictly on music, if you want to listen to some New Orleans stuff, peep that out. And... If you ever get to New Orleans, you know, if this world ever gets back to normal again, definitely, you know, 
check out you know the live music they got down there. New Orleans has its own you know vibe, its own sound, and it's really enjoyable. And the all the all that music I talked about from the hip hop scene captured some of that New Orleans feel, you know. So you definitely want to take a look into all of that. So I'm not gonna hold y'all up all night. I just want or you know maybe it's daytime. I shouldn't assume you're listening at night. But again, the Kings in a they wrap up their road trip in New Orleans against the Pelicans. Should be an interesting game. The Kings had, you know, an interesting battle with them in Sacramento. By the time you hear this, it'll be last month when they played that game. But you also they also um were gonna be running into two two guys who are on a roll lately in Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Ingram's an all-star. I think we all can agree that Zion will eventually be one, if not this year, sometime down the road. It'll be a tough matchup for the front court because whoever you put Harrison on, you know, which would probably be Brandon to start the game, or be you know, somebody that Luke Walton knows well from coaching with the Lakers. Then you look at between Rashawn and Marvin, who gets Zion, who deals with Stephen Adams. Either way, it's going to be a a physical, rough night uh, for the Kings. I expect that they should be able to be you know, ready for that that physicality of those guys better than they were the first time out. Can they win this game? Definitely, but you never know with this Kings team. It just if you're a Kings fan, you just hope they you know they can you know have which has been kind of the pattern lately. At least a couple of quarters without giving up thirty a game. Give themselves a chance to win. So that's pretty much all I got, I got for y'all this week. Should be a interesting week around the Kings. You know, after they get after they, they come back home and host the Boston Celtics, which should be that'll be fun for me because you know Jalen Brown is a Cal Golden Bear, and you know Go Bears. I'm always going to you know support the Bears no matter where they are. Even if that means they play for the Celtics. Actually, check that. My bad. I had my weeks off. I'm, I'm going to go check it. Yeah. No, actually, I'm right. I did I did right. It is Boston on Wednesday. Denver on Saturday. And then at the Clippers on Sunday. Yes. The NBA, the, the, Clipper, the Kings play the Clippers on Super Bowl Sunday. So, I expect none of y'all will care about that game. Unless the Kings win. But if they lose, I expect suspect that none of y'all will actually be checking for me you know <laughs> any point uh, at the end of next week so it is what it is you know hey i'll be back again later on this week you know where to find me on social mr underscore jason jones on twitter uh, mr jones lbc on instagram shoot me a message at me let me know what you take, think about my king's takes let me know what you think about my music takes uh, drop a rating on Apple, you know, Apple rating. Hopefully, I can earn five stars from y'all at some point. Uh, and it, so, y'all be good out there. Y'all be safe. Again, this is Jason Jones of The Athletic. You can find the work there at theathletic.com. Uh, this is the Ruler of the Court podcast. I am the ruler the, as part of the Basketball Podcast Network. Shout out to everyone there. Y'all be safe. Y'all be good. I will catch you later on this week. Take care. I'm gone.